traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Hello and welcome to The Economist Asks. I'm your host, Anne McElvoy. It's International Women's Day and we're asking, can Time's Up really call time on sexual harassment? Since the allegations of gross sexual misconduct against Harvey Weinstein came to light last October, the issue has come under unprecedented scrutiny. It sparked the hashtag MeToo, which spread around the world. The prevalence of sexual harassment, particularly in the workplace and particularly by men against women, has become widely known and discussed. Another seismic shock in Hollywood. Angelina Jolie and Gwyneth Paltrow saying they too were sexually harassed by Harvey Weinstein, adding to a growing list of women. More than half of women say they've been sexually harassed at work. A study by the TUC shows the situation is worse for those aged between 18 and 24, with two-thirds of them subjected to harassment, including unwelcome jokes and unwanted touching. A huge number of sexual assault and harassment survivors are sharing their stories online. It happened to me too. Me too. And it happened to me too. This is my story. In November, the American National Alliance of Women Farm Workers sent an open letter in support of women involved in exposing the claims against Mr Weinstein. Partly in response, on January the 1st of this year, 400 women in show business signed a letter in the New York Times calling for equity and safety in the workplace. The initiative is Time's Up. At the time of recording, their crowdfunding efforts have raised over $21 million. At the Golden Globes and the BAFTAs, stars on the red carpet wore black in solidarity. At the Oscars ceremony, Ashley Judd, Annabella Sciorra and Salma Hayek-Pino, all of whom have accused Harvey Weinstein of sexual misconduct, delivered this message. The changes we are witnessing are being driven by the powerful sound of new voices of different voices, of our voices, joining together in a mighty chorus that is finally saying, time's up. And the actress Emma Watson, who's donated a million pounds to the Justice and Equality Fund in the UK, showed off her temporary Time's Up to Two on the Oscars red carpet, even if she did miss off the apostrophe. With unprecedented attention and funding, can Time's Up use this moment to effect real change? I'm joined on the line by Tina Chen. She's a prominent American lawyer. She's also served as assistant to President Barack Obama and chief of staff to the First Lady Michelle Obama. And she's currently working on Time's Up Legal Defence Fund against sexual harassment. Welcome to The Economist Asks. Oh, thank you for having me. So, Tina, tell me what is Time's Up guiding principle? Why is it so different from any campaign that went before that said, you know, you should treat women properly and with respect in the workplace? Well, Time's Up broadly is, as you said, about equity and safety in the workplace. But it's about making sustainable change to achieve safety and equity in the workplace. So whether that is 
industry leaders in the entertainment industry coming together under the commission headed by Anita Hill to make real change um, in how workplace conditions are in Hollywood um, or having that spread to other industries like tech and elsewhere to our Legal Defense Fund, which answers a real need to have legal support and public relations support were needed for victims of sexual harassment in the workplace, um, especially low-income women, where for too long those women have been victimized um, in silence, unable to make their claims. And what sort of clients have been approaching you? I'm thinking here particularly about this sort of legal defense fund idea and how broadly you would like to see it applied. Well, I'll tell you, since January 1, in just the six weeks, we've had over 1,400 requests to help go into the National Women's Law Center. We were very fortunate that the National Women's Law Center, which is a 45-year-old women's rights organization here in the United States, agreed to be the home of the Times Up Legal Defense Fund. You know, they have a long history of advocacy for sexual harassment. They're among the nation's experts. So we've had over 1,400 requests. I will tell you, they come from around 60 different kinds of industries. We have had police officers, military folks, government workers, prison guards. Um, We've had retail workers, fast food workers um, all come forward needing assistance. And what would you say the sort of relationship of Time's Up is to Me Too, hashtag Me Too? I mean, do you think they're absolutely driving towards the same goals? Do you think they're different expressions or are there subtle differences? We're all driving towards the same goal. I mean, Me Too has been so powerful in inspiring women to find their voice, tell their own story, Um, especially it's so moving when women who have had to keep this secret um, and live with the burden themselves for so many years are able and feel empowered to speak out. Time's Up is about then taking those stories, taking that power, and making it, you know, making change happen in workplaces, you know, helping companies who want to do better, do better, um, and holding those accountable um, when things don't go well. Uh, so, you know, those, they work well together. One of the things we're also doing through the Legal Defense Fund is making sure we provide legal support for women who have spoken out, inspired by Me Too, who now find themselves the object of defamation or retaliation claims by the people that they have accused of wrongdoing. And how do you translate sort of visible signs of this, like wearing black that I I refer to in in the introduction or or indeed some people wearing white almost along the lines of the sort of suffragette colours into action? Is there a danger? I would say if if there's any danger that attaches to something like Me Too, it's the sense that it it moves very quickly to a kind of trend from being a cause to a trend. Does that worry you at all? Well, I think what I really admire are the people with celebrity, you know, with um, privilege and a voice, you know, using that not just for their own industry, but for others across industries, and especially low-income women, because celebrities, because people who are familiar to folks because it comes on their television or on their computer in their living rooms um, are speaking out, it's kept the issue alive. You know, we, this, is, this isn't when, you know, a flavor of the month that has come and gone inside of a couple of weeks. You know, the, we're now going on four or five months that this issue has stayed front and center. It continues to gain momentum, you know, with, with every day that passes. But can I just sort of put you a bit on the spot on that? And so, was, you know, we had sexual harassment as a term first used, I think, in the, the 1970s and probably, you know, in similar words before. Then we have a lot of quite powerful women across the law in show business, probably also in journalism and, and other areas who, who are grouping round a cause now. I mean, 
Have we been a bit asleep on the job, frankly? I mean, should we be berating ourselves more for not helping other women earlier? I mean, this is what I mean by a trend. It seems like everybody's suddenly awake to it, but where have we been for the last 30 years? Well, we have been gradually making progress. So let's not forget that we did pass Title VII in the United States, you know, which bans sex discrimination in the workplace, you know, some 35 you know, plus years ago. Um, and 30 years ago, you know, we used that statute um, to bring cases in the Supreme Court. The National Women's Law Center, for example, was instrumental in doing that, where we had a United States Supreme Court case that made clear that sexual harassment, having a hostile workplace, you know, making people uncomfortable um, based upon their gender in their workplace was outlawed under federal U.S. law um, and creating damages and an ability for people to sue. You know, and you have to keep at it and chip away at it with each case. Okay, but let's let's go back to you know, Hurricane Harvey Weinstein. You know, we, here is someone who is impeccably connected across showbiz, highly successful at least at the at the time. As it happened, was also a donor to uh, Hillary Clinton and and to Barack Obama. Very well connected in Democrat circles. Are, are we seriously saying that we only really got on the case about Harvey Weinstein when the revelations came to light? And that you know, people didn't just look away from rumours, from allegations, from a swirl of talk about poor behaviour towards women, to say the very least, that goes back way beyond the last year? Well, I think what we know about sexual harassment is there is a silencing that happens of victims. And if you're a woman in the workplace at my age, in my 60s, you know, you've seen it for years go on and experienced it. You have seen people, you know, handle it quietly or ignore it, ignore the or ignore the off-color jokes in the room, um, ignore the advances to go out for dinner from a superior because you needed to keep your job. And that was what women have done, and men, by the way, you know, for decades in order to advance their careers. Um, and it's not well-known, and it's not, you know, for, until recently, you know, been the, the kind of thing that people felt comfortable um, talking about. You know, retaliation is real. Three-quarters of the people who have experienced sexual harassment in the workplace say they have not come forward because they're fear, afraid of retaliation, um, which we've seen happen. We've seen it in the 1,400 cases that we've gotten calls on where people have gotten fired, even in you know, as recently as just, you know, within the last couple of years because they spoke out about sexual harassment. But I was actually asking you something else as well, Tina. I was asking you if there was not in in that way that people sort of grouped together around, you know, in this case, and certainly not just making it as a political divide, but in this case, in sort of high-end Democrat circles, who just sort of, in the end, you know, were reluctant to believe that, that this kind of happened with people that they knew, people who gave money to the same causes, supported the same liberal worldview? Well, I think I've been an advocate on sexual assault and women's rights for four or five decades now. And it is long been gone on for millennia that women have not been believed that women, you know, who have been assaulted and harassed are frequently not believed. You know, it's it's not that long ago that it was perfectly legal, you know, here in the United States to introduce evidence of a woman's prior sexual past when she brought a claim of rape against, you know, a rapist. Um, we finally mm-hmm. outlawed that, but it took outlawing it to change the practice. So, you know, it you know, we're in a moment right now again where after millennia of women not being believed, um, 
um, when they have spoken out, where the tide is slowly turning. Um, and it's slowly turning because there are some amazing, brave women um, who have stepped forward at risk to their families, to their own livelihoods, uh, to speak out. And we can't forget that that's how we got to this moment. And you don't feel any sense of that it is a, it's a convenient moment to get behind something but that we should be a bit more testing with people who did have a lot of power and knowledge, and we could take the show business industry as an example. You don't think they should feel any sort of bad conscience about that? Sounds like everything is like, you know, year zero, we go forward from now. Shouldn't we ask ourselves more testing questions? Well, I think we are. I mean, I think everyone is looking to see what, you know, are, do we have systems in place, you know, that are catching this? Why, why haven't we caught it before? What, how do we need to change how we approach, you know, our, our employment functions and our, our compliance functions? I, I will tell you one of the things I'm doing here at my law firm, Buckley Sandler, is developing a practice to help companies do better. Um, one of the things I found when I worked in the White House was, you know, companies actually want to have more diverse workplaces. They want to have safe and mm-hmm. fair workplaces for their, their employees, but they often don't know how to do it. You know, how do you make sure that you're paying equal pay? You know, how do you make sure that you are recruiting and retaining, you know, the most diverse workforce that you can. And um, most companies see both the positive benefits of having a diverse workforce. We have all the data that shows you have a better return on your investment when you have diverse work- workers. Um, but they're now seeing the downside risk to your company. Your entire enterprise can be brought down if you don't have a sufficient set of compliance measures in place. Um, and so I'm working with a lot of companies who are trying to do that. I mean, this is all about moving forward. I mean, I I'm a firm believer that what we need to do to change and to make change for employees today, for our sons and daughters for tomorrow, is to keep looking positively towards the change that needs to be made and working with everyone who wants to make that change. We have in many ways divided societies. And I guess some people respond to this by saying, well, this is all well and good. It sounds a bit like a lawyer's charter, you know, sort of running the world according according to the law, so to speak. How do you avoid that sense of alienating men or indeed alienating people who, who have a slightly, you know, don't like the idea that everything, is, every conversation, every encounter is going to be subject to some sort of approved protocol. You know, I don't know that it's that complicated that we have to have every conversation subject to a protocol. You know, this starts just with a basic premise of when you are in the workplace, you know, you treat everyone with respect, you treat everyone with dignity. When you are the boss in a workplace, you are always the boss. You're the boss when you're in the office. You're the boss when you take everyone out for drinks after hours. And when you're the boss, you know, you do not use that power, you know, to take advantage of your subordinates. Those are the basic premises. There's not a whole long laundry list of complicated rules that need to follow. Those are just the basics. And if everyone follows those basics, um, you know, then I think you know, we will you know, have much safer workplaces and much more equitable workplaces. And yet it's strange, isn't it, when we think of how it's applied I mean, you know, in, in politics. We've got Donald Trump in the, in the White House who's appeared to dismiss claims of domestic abuse by his own aides and it's often accused of, of multiple counts of sexual misconduct himself. Millions of people support him. It would appear that they, they don't put these issues as high up the agenda as you might like them to do so. Uh, I suppose you think that they're wrong, but I mean, how do you then bring a broader group of people behind your cause than just people who are inclined to agree already? Well, I think one of the things that's been happening over the course of the last year and with 
me too and time's up is people coming forward with their stories. Um, what we have long learned on any issue that the most persuasive thing you can do is tell stories about real people who are affected by the issue. Um, and so, you know, these countless women in a variety of settings um, with people, you know, who were icons in the media or icons in the entertainment industry or in business, you know, where they are telling their very, you know, graphic and and sometimes really horrific stories of the abuse that they have suffered and make it clear that it's undeniable that these things have occurred. We now see those folks being held accountable and we I think I think we now see that women are being believed and change is going to happen. You say change is going to, to happen but to what extent do we also need to look back you know, to, to recent history and be perhaps a bit more open and a bit more Critical. I mean, we've had in, in Bill Clinton, we had a president who had a, a history of, of relationships with young women where there was clearly a power imbalance. Did liberal America let him off the hook? You know, I actually don't think that going back in time and unpacking all of those issues, you know, um, from you know two or three decades ago, um, is helpful in the current it's environment. Not that long ago, you know. Well, it you know things things. Have changed. We've got different people in the White House. We have a different set of environment, you know, here that's going forward. And I think, you know, to make change, it is much more positive to focus on the things that we can change it today. Might, it might be, but the workplace, the workplaces that we can bit, change but it, today. Why not? You know, if you've had someone as powerful in recent American history as a, a president, and also we, you know, we should say we mentioned Donald Trump. There also you know, faces some accusations uh, of kinds of, of sexual misconduct. Isn't it right to go back and ask? Gosh, didn't we let them off too lightly? I mean, what's wrong with asking that? Well, to one end, I guess is what I would ask. You know, what I'm much more interested in right well, now. You're still going. Well, here's lionizing what I'm, I'm people much, whose personal more, behavior may be at fault. No, I am much more interested right now in looking at. The workplaces that we have right now, the employers that we have right now, how they can make they can reform themselves to benefit, you know, workers who are laboring every day in hotel rooms, you know, alone at night, in janitors who are working in office buildings by themselves, you know, fast food workers, you know, whose bosses are requiring them to, you know, make you know tolerate you know abuses by their customers. Um, you know, those folks today, right now, who are needing to put food on the table for their kids who are entitled to do that in safe and respectful workplaces. That's where my focus is. I should ask you, you've also been very successful with both in the law and, and you, you've worked in and around the, the White House. What, what's been your own life experience of this? What have you learned along the way? And, you know, what's your off-the-cuff after hours advice to, to young women coming into workplaces? Well, my advice to young women coming into workplaces is how, have confidence in yourself um, use your voice um, when both professionally to get your ideas out on the table and also to speak up when you see something that's going wrong. And I would say this to young men as well. You know, one of the great things I've observed in this young generation coming up, and we saw this when we were combating sexual assault on campuses in the United States, is young men who are also standing beside, you know, young women and saying, we won't tolerate this. You know, this is not how we believe men should behave towards women. Um, uh, and this is, you know, we're not going to tolerate a culture um, that encourages that, and we're going to change it. So I have actually 
great faith and optimism in this young millennial generation that they see things differently. They're going to speak up, you know, more vocally. um, And, you know, they want to own this change. Tita Chen, thank you very much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. But what do you think? Has the Time's Up movement got the right formula? What will tip the balance in the fight against workplace discrimination? We're on email at radioeconomist.com or on Twitter at Economist Radio. Do get in touch. And please don't forget to rate us on your podcast app. I'm Anne McElvoy in London. This is The Economist. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.